actually, if you're focusing on making the customer successful, the externality that invariably happens out of the back of that is they want to stay and they want to buy more. But it's all about where you're focused. So you're not focused on the sale, you're focused on their success. And their success is like to drive the relationship, drive the value, and then we'll produce the sale invariably. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. We have an amazing guest with us here today. His name is Adrian Swinsko. He helps organizations of all sizes deliver better customer service and customer experiences. He does that in two ways. The first is through acting as an advisor on specific service experience engagement issues. And the second is through helping build internal team and leadership capabilities via mentoring, thought leadership, and masterclasses. He is currently a fellow at the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers, and Commerce. Welcome, Adrian. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you today? <laughs> I'm splendid. That makes me sound auspicious, the way you kind of sounded that out <laughs> in the, the intro. Okay, so you've got quite the accolades. <laughs> I'm not sure I deserve the auspiciousness of the intro. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show today and to talk about all things customer retention and talking about the different strategies that you've seen. But maybe we'll just start off by you telling us more about yourself and your experiences. Okay, I would love to. So I'm originally from Scotland. I now kind of live back in Scotland, recently moved here to Edinburgh with my wife, which is great. It's a beautiful city. We're enjoying our new kind of place and life north of the wall, as it were. But thumbnail sketch on me is that I, I'm a trained economist and teacher. So I trained as an economist and trained as a teacher, and then I did both things in my early professional kind of life. And I know the Game Ball's got some offices in in Egypt, in Cairo, and that's where I kind of worked as an economist, both as an economist and as a teacher over kind of two different kind of periods over the course of the 1990s. And then flirted with taking a PhD. That felt like it was going to take too long, and I didn't want to be a poor student for another kind of five years. And so I came out to London to get an MBA, went in to work for a couple of corporates doing different sort of things for about four or five years, and then left there and did some sort of freelance consultancy kind of work, so corporate venturing type of stuff. Nearly bought a steel company with a bunch of people. <laughs> that was a almost, it could have been a good thing. It could have, You could also say it's a close kind of like shave, you know, near escape as it were. I love that you said that so casually, <laughs> just almost bought a steel company. <laughs> yeah, nearly. And then around sort of like 2008, I sort of, like the idea of working independently. And so I thought about what to do, what I could do. And so I, I could see the way that the market was going in terms of the digital landscape. And I thought, well, actually, in order to build a sustainable, I feel like, position in that whole consultancy space, then you need to build, build a digital footprint. And because I knew that things were changing and you needed to get to the point where you could establish what I call trust at a distance. And so to, in order to do that, I started writing. I started my own, set my own site and I started writing, sort of blogging, which my wife completely did not understand. <laughs> she used to go That's out so and meet fun. friends and then she'd be asking the people going, well, where's Adrian? And she'd roll her eyes and say, he's blogging again. I love that. But I kept at it and it, I wrote about general stuff to start with. And that got really quite boring very quickly. 
And then I figured out that I needed to write about something that I either didn't like or I cared about and I wanted to change or I wanted to better understand. And so I figured out that I don't like bad service. And that doesn't make me kind of different to anybody else. It's just that it's always kind of struck me that organizations often get in the way of their people doing a good job. Having built things in the past that had both customer and employee value at their heart, I sort of felt like I knew what sort of good looked like or felt like. So I thought, well, okay, let me start learning about that and writing about it and thinking about it. And so I started writing about it and then wrote a, produced a book in 2010, which was an anthology of a whole bunch of stuff, an anthology plus of a whole stuff, a bunch of stuff I'd been writing about. And I did a podcast in January 2011, which was very DIY. Um, I mean, I was podcasting before it was cool, I guess. Now it's cool. Yeah, I was going to say, you started the trend? <laughs> yeah, now, now I'll probably still be podcasting when it's no longer cool. But hey, uh, <laughs> that's led into, and then I got approached, getting some traction with that. And I got approached by Forbes and they said, could you want to come write a column for us? And so I started writing a column for Forbes back in, I think it was about 2013. That's awesome. Wrote, then wrote another book with Pearson. So that was like grown up publishing, published how to wire with them in 2016. And that did really well. And then I've subsequently kind of gone on to publish Punk CX in 2019 and Punk XL in just late last year in 2021. Amongst all of that, it's allowed me to sort of develop a reputation and a footprint and that trust at a distance that actually I've been able to establish a niche or, or kind of like a groove or just a way of earning some money. So I do advisory work. I do some of these kind of masterclasses, talks. I also work with vendors around doing webinars, customer events, research, kind of white papers, all these different sort of things. And so I am a very happy boy at, the, at this point in time because I get paid to do stuff I like with people I like. That's the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Even just what you were saying when you were introducing your experience and stuff, I'd love to know more actually about what you mean in this whole building trust at a distance topic that you were talking about. How did you go about learning this whole customer experience world that was going on? It's always struck me, I don't really like the idea of, if you like, cold selling and prospecting and all these different sort of things. And I like the idea of people coming up and knocking on your door and saying, hey, I've got this thing. Can you help me with it? Or would you be willing to talk to, to me about it? And so that idea and then about thinking about, well, what could facilitate the knocking on your door, as it were, or somebody either sends you a message or calls you up or whatever? And I think that's facilitated by them being able to get to know you. What you think about sort of things, who you t- how you talk, kind of how you approach the, you know, those sort of things, so that they get to the point where they can feel like they trust ah, you. <laughs> I sort of I have a good sense of that person, and that's what I mean about this trust at a distance. You can't do that. You have to earn that, and sometimes you have to just put it out there in the in the, the hope and the belief that it's going to work. Now, I didn't necessarily do it with any intention of trying to capture anybody. I was literally doing it in a way that I was just exploring for myself, and but also trying to share it with people and do it to be helpful. Because I always talk about my blog and my writing as my public thinking digital notebook. So I am exploring ideas and writing them down and doing it in public right. on a digital platform. And, and the thing is, it's a notebook. It doesn't have to be right Right, exactly. It's just an idea. And that's one of the kind of things that kind of people kind of get caught up in. When they write, they want to be right. Yeah. Pardon the, pardon <laughs> the pun, right? Yeah. And it's scary putting it out in the public world, knowing 
It might be right. It might be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, but here's the thing. We tell ourselves it's scary because we end up, we fool ourselves that everybody's waiting for us to publish something. That's a great point. That's really a great point. And guess what? No, they're not. <laughs> the only people that are really interested in, in it, like maybe your mum or your dad or your <laughs> granny, right? Until you get to that kind of point where you start to develop an, an audience, but hopefully by that point, you've actually started to master your craft or actually mm -hmm. get better at it and better how you communicate things and you understand kind of the landscape and different ideas and you have you've formed a view everything i've ever written on my podcast uh, on my podcast or in my blog is still freely available if people want to dig around in the in the archives they can dig around in the archives and some of the stuff back in there is horrible <laughs> you can see your progress over time as well sure i'm not going to go and kind of edit my way through there going, oh, cut that, that's rubbish, cut that, that's rubbish. It's like, no, move on, keep going. It's about progress. Iterating. It's about kind of like mm -hmm. iterating and journeying through things. Yeah. Because all you do, all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to learn myself and then share that with myself because I understand the idea I can think about something, but if I write it down, then I understand what I think better. And I just happen to share it with people. And if that helps me earn that sort of trust that existence, but also build my own capability, then why not? Exactly. And it starts from a good place of motivation. So it pushes you to also put that content out there, teach people and get you to the point at which you're at today, which is great. So how do you find this ties into customer retention? Like what's the similarities and differences between these two and how do you work with both? Like when I started, people weren't really talking about customer experience. People were talking about retention, people were talking about loyalty, people were talking about customer service. And it, that's all fair enough. The challenge I have with the customer experience sort of conversation and domain is that sometimes it gets too caught up in itself. The idea that there's, you know, we talk about creating customer experiences, though no, we don't, we can't create customer experiences. That is a, the experience is the responsibility of the person who's having the experience. We can only do a certain number of things. To facilitate that, it. Exactly. And then it's up to them to have the experience that they have. Now, if you're having a brilliant day uh, or you're having a crappy day and then you approach exactly the same thing, you'll probably have very different experiences. Definitely. And the company can't affect it. And you can't, we can't, we can't control that. Yeah. Right. But that's the point. People kind of think about this thing, designing customer experiences, think, you know, no, you're trying to facilitate a good and positive customer experience because that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's stuff that happens and then there's what we make it mean. And the only thing we can control is the stuff that happens in our domain. Do you find that companies struggle with how they view customer experience and how they create these customer experiences? Because I guess that can affect the view of how people actually enjoy your experience with a brand. What do you find are the main challenges companies face when coming up with experiences and retention strategies for their customers? Well, I mean, I think that one of the main ones is that they think it's all about them. When people talk about customer retention, what is the thing that they really care about? Keeping the customers. <laughs> yeah, and kind of more money. But actually, if you think about it, that's a product. It's an outcome of a whole bunch of things that you kind of that you do. That's kind of that shows that the customer what helps the customer achieve value or relevance or help from what you do. And then hopefully you get a chance to monetize that. Too often people kind of think about this retention. I mean, ultimately all the the thing that we're in the business of is relationships. Now, that doesn't mean you say you have to love everybody and everybody. It's not like we're not going to sit there and go kind of like, 
you know, sit around the kind of the, the campfire and sing songs to each other. It's not that, it's not like that. I mean, that could work, but for some, <laughs> but it's a bit like, it's a relative thing, you know? So I think there's it's understanding the relationship that you want to have with the customer and then trying to build or design or facilitate a set of things that you do to try to facilitate an experience that encourages that loyalty and that retention. So it's a bit like, crumbs, take something really mundane. Take toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ultimately disposable, right? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It does a dirty job. But then you think about, go when you go to the supermarket, do you tend to try and buy the same brand? I do. <laughs> and you ask yourself, like, why? Well, maybe because they've just made a good product that you like what they say about it and they made a good product that you like and like how the way it feels and all these different sort of things. And you go, that's fine. That's solid. Now, do they have a customer retention program? If they did, that would be properly odd. <laughs> that actually would be kind of funny. I was actually thinking, as you said, that like what makes me choose the same brand every time. But I'm pretty sure I only choose it because it has the cute little bears on the front of the packaging. Nothing else. <laughs> so it's completely relative. Yeah, that's right? true. That's a good point. And so sometimes retention, we have to think about many of these things are, are very much are very relative. Sometimes retention, you look at it, if you're going to buy, if you're going to make something which is like a one-off product that is for a, generally it's going to, you people buy it for a one-time thing, why are you going to be concerned about retention? So retention is not for everybody, maybe, maybe more appropriate for that firm might be to do with advocacy and referrals and go like, if we did, if we produced a great product to help you solve that problem at that, at that moment in time and did it the best job, then we know that this problem happens for other people in other parts of the world, da, 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 and you will know some of those people. Can you make sure that you connect us with kind of those other people as and when they have that problem? No, that's not, some people say, oh, that's like, it is like a retention thing, but it's, mm, you're asking people to do different things. Yeah. And I guess this all falls under customer experience. Like they're not really two separate things, but retention is kind of under there because the retention means something different for everybody. Exactly. And so the thing you need to kind of understand is, is like, actually, it's all about the relationship and the type of relationship you have. You can't take a homogenous approach to relationships because they're just different. Yeah. As you were describing this, I was thinking, what's my thought process when I'm buying something like toilet paper versus buying a luxury product like jewelry or something like that? When I keep going back for more on either end, it's two very sets of questions that I'm asking in my head or things that I'm thinking about, but it still is the choice to buy again, just in very different contexts and environments. So retention, a lot of the retention and loyalty and everything else has sort of morphed into customer success, particularly in the advent of uh, software as a service and subscription business models. And I kind of like the idea at the core of customer success because it's... I like the idea at the core of it. The problem is that many companies still get caught up in their own way and they, you know, and they, they forget what the, what the label is on the tin, i.e. customer success. And then it kind of, it's, they still, they're still focused on trying to, how do I sell you more stuff? But actually, at its very heart, its very core, customer success is about how do I make this customer successful? How do I help them derive as much value as possible out of the use of this product or service? That's a very different mindset to how can I sell you the next thing? Yeah. It's two completely different drivers in that seat. <laughs> yeah. And so in economic terms, economists talk about externalities, that things that happen because of 
something else happening. And so I think that's it's, it's a really useful way of thinking about it when you think about customer success, because actually, if you're focusing on making the customer successful, the externality that invariably happens out of the back of that is they want to stay and they want to buy more. But it's all about where you're focused. So you're not focused on the sale, you're focused on their success and that their success is like to drive the relationship, drive the value, and then we'll produce the sale invariably. So almost like building trust at a distance in a different kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And what are some of the best strategies you've seen for the focus on the success versus the upselling aspect? Again, it's about it's about understanding your customers, but in their own context. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, I mean, and there's there's two different kind of things that in that space. And a lot of it comes down to well, a lot of it comes down to data, but understanding kind of where customers are at across their their life cycle, as it were. There was a piece of research that was done years ago, and and I think it still holds. It was done by a company called ClickFox. I think they were subsequently acquired. I can't remember. But anyway, they did a piece of work that said, depending on the industry, obviously, but in large part, 90% of all loyalty can be explained by what happens at two points in a customer's journey. And about 50% of that 90% can, it can be explained by, by what happens when somebody buys something. Is that process easy? Does it make sense? Does it make them feel good? Does it make them feel right about the decision that they've made? So it's a very kind of personal psychological thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the remaining 40% of that 90% comes about when something goes wrong. Or 40% of that lot is is earned when something goes wrong. I.e., if something goes wrong, because we, we know that things go wrong from time to time. And what we don't want to do, but we, what we don't like is we don't like risk, uncertainty, failure, problems, all these different things. And so actually, we want somebody to help us and to save us in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. And so if you get those two things right, then that sort of explains broadly about 90% of all loyalty. And so rather than people having just retention kind of programs, they should ask themselves, how good is our buying experience? Can it be better? Can our onboarding, can our packaging, can our delivery, can our whole buying sort of thing, can that be any, can it be better? Can we make that better? On the flip side, they go, and what about our service and our support experience? Can that be better? Can it be quicker? Can it be easier? Can it be more effective, more efficient, et cetera, et cetera? Because if you do those kind of two things, then you're going to, you can put yourself on this solid footing in order to have those kind of conversations with people about how are things going? Yeah. And I guess it's a lot of coordination between like the sales and customer success teams or sales and post-sales teams to make sure that that fostering of that relationship starts before the sale, during the sale, after the sale and ongoing, because it never ends of working on that relationship to make someone feel good throughout the experience. And that's kind of one of the hardest challenges with organizations that are, structured the way they've been structured for the last kind of I don't know, 100 plus years or something. They were very functionally organized, but it requires that sort of approach requires this level of coordination and also data sharing. Like, for example, imagine you were in a B2B sort of environment and you're in customers coming to the point or they've got a subscription or they've had a contract and it's coming up for renewal or whatever. And the salesperson or the account manager or whatever reaches out to them and says, hey, Lauren, how are you doing? This is Adrian calling from XYZ Corporation. And you were like, ah, Adrian, you must be calling about that inquiry I put into the help desk kind of yesterday. And they're like, and I'm like, what? (laughs) 
Now, I'd expect... <laughs> Which help inquiry? <laughs> exactly. I'd expect, if I'm a customer, that you might have checked my kind of record to see what was kind of how things had gone and what was kind of standing out and if I'd got any kind of outstanding kind of queries or problems or whatever, or yeah, to absolutely. understand the history of it. All. Yeah, exactly. You're like going, many times that doesn't happen. Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking of the fact that there's multiple experiences I can think about with different companies, whether it's something like insurance, let's say, or even a consumer product where you call for help with something and you have to re-explain your case. And it's so frustrating because to have to restate your case time and time again, whether it's something small or it's something very frustrating, it's still an annoyance in the process where you're thinking this experience was not that great. I don't think I would do this again. No, I find that fascinating. It's like if, if companies understood companies and people in the customer experience space, they used to talk about multi-channel. Now they talk about Omni-channel and everything else. Omni-channel, like, yeah. yeah. Customers don't think in terms of channels. Customers go like, I'm having, I'm trying to get in touch with you and all these different kind of like channels. That's me. <laughs> because I wasn't successful there, I wasn't successful there, and I'm just trying all these different things because I just want to talk to somebody or want some help. And whether it's a bot or it's like a, on a live chat or via email or on the phone or video, whatever it might be, I just want somebody to help me solve my problem. Yeah, exactly. But... I'm placing a bunch of bets to see who responds first. <laughs> but when you pull all this together, they're kind of going, but I actually only think I'm having one conversation because it's about one thing. And so for, for you not to have all these things connected and to be able to see all these different things, and for me to have to repeat information as, a, as I navigate or migrate across different channels, like if, if I've been in a, in a, like maybe I'm in a WhatsApp chat and somebody's going, ah, can we get on a call and then you can show me or I can screen share or do whatever to solve the kind of the problem. And you're like, going, yeah, sure. Cool. But then they go, as soon as you swap over, they go like, I'm going to pass you on to David or whatever. And then they're going to ask you the same, repeat all these kind of questions. And you look at and go, are you freaking kidding me? I've been there for sure. I'm just talking to your pal over <laughs> there. I think half of that sort of stuff can be solved by us just doing the fundamentals. If we did I talk about this idea about being brilliant at the basics and the idea, it's too often than not we get caught up in doing fancy new things, but actually many of us forget that doing the basics and doing them well and doing consistently well is hard, but it's the foundation upon which you build a big house. But also from an individual perspective, we gravitate to things and people that we like and trust and can rely on. And so making things easy, and then showing up when people need kind of like help could make things a lot easier. A lot of the time, the retention would take care of itself. Yeah. Actually, it sounds like a lot of reorganization and things like that, but it actually seems quite simple just in terms of delivering a very nice, seamless, simple experience for somebody. So they feel heard, they feel taken care of in the process, actually making sure that they feel like their, their opinion and their voice matters in this whole thing. I feel like if you just give someone the time of day, that's good. <laughs> And do you have any examples of companies or brands that you know that do this really well? I've always liked Patagonia because I'm a fan of Yvonne Chouinard because I'm a distinctly average climber and he was a bit of a climbing legend. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and so I've always had that thing around an affinity with some outdoor stuff and also what the company stood for as well. And I like Apple because... Not because I think they're, I migrated, I use Apple products, you know, moved to Apple for years ago, not just because I like the products and because how easy they are to use and they just seem to work. Mm -hmm. 
So when Apple opened their retail stores years ago, and it doesn't look like a retail store, it looks like some sort of fancy community center, big tables, lots of stuff. You can go in and play around on this sort of stuff. That was the killer. That was the killer thing. Is like what they didn't do, they didn't create an electronics store. They created a community center, like a fan hub. And you get in to go and use the stuff. Whereas like how many other other electronic stores do you know where you can go in and actively use the equipment? Exactly, yeah. Like hardly any. Literally, like even like in Best Buy here in, in Canada, you don't can't really do that. Like there's not really any other places that you can actually interact with the product, like the products in Apple. Exactly. And so you look at it and you go, that's completely a mindset thing, right? They have the security and the staff and everything else that goes kind of with around that and they can manage it and police it and everything else. And their their staff are very mobile and equipped. So you can go and I'll it will come to you rather than you come to the the, the you know to the desk to make you queue and all these different things. It's just a secret hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Myself, I have all Apple products like iPhone, MacBook, AirPods, everything. And what sells me on it every single time too is all the connectivity in terms of the iMessage group chats, all that kind of stuff. I'll never give that up. And they remind me of that time and time again, every time I get a new product, because they remind me how simple it is to connect my entire life through all these products. And it's just such a simple sell every single time. They're not trying to upsell me. They're just saying, improve what you've already got basically. And it's just an easy experience every single time. But then you can build on, go back to the retention sort of thing and how retention is not necessarily about like an initiative or or a team, as it were, it can also be about what you do as a, as an organization. So recently, in the last kind of few years, Apple's take, taken a very firm stand on privacy, and they're going, "It's your data. You're in our ecosystem. It's only your data. We're never going to sell it. Bosh, we've got you. That's it." And that plays into that whole sort of thing. Right? People are talking about, and that caught a lot of people by surprise. And we're like, "Oh." Really? And you're like going, yeah, but well, because they know what matters to people. And that plays into the whole people talking about retention and personalization and all that type of stuff. And you're like going, yeah, well, they're not going to really try. They're not trying that hard on the personalization thing. Yes, they are a little bit, but actually they know that they're privacy first and you'll tell us what you want. So using personalization almost in the wrong way for the wrong results like how you mentioned before about everything being more siloed and functional, because also how can everyone have their perspective on the same thing if everyone's separate from each other? And so fixing their kind of internal stream structure, looking at how they view the customer, actually taking that exercise of putting themselves outside of the company view, but more in the customer view. There's a lot of great ideas and tips and tricks on how to actually reorganize their processes for that. Some people can think about this and go, oh, we need to reorganize our organization in order to function kind of better. And you go, well, yeah, you could do, but you could also can think about it from the same way that you think about you're thinking about your customers. You actually what you think about when you think about your customers, you're thinking about relationships, right? And the how do you build better relationships? A more honest and open kind of relationship that's going to help you build a longer term relationship, one of greater kind of like long term value. But to back that up and to facilitate that, you still have to build the relationships you have with people inside your organization. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Yeah. Because internal stuff kind of facilitates external stuff. 100%. What I'd love to see, I'd love to see salespeople that are going out, prospecting, doing deals, all these different sort of things. They're hearing lots of different things all of the time from their customers or for people that they're dealing with. And most of that stuff is absolutely gold dust. 
But probably what they're not doing is they're not collecting it, not necessarily putting it into a CRM, not sharing it broadly and widely across the across the organization. I'd like to see those salespeople go in and spend some time with the the um the product development people and the service and support people and do all this. Going, this is what we're hearing out in the field. And then you start sharing that sort of like stuff and people kind of bring in their own insights and doing different things. Right. And too often people will kind of try and reduce that down to some sort of survey or data capture sort of process, whatever. I'm also, yeah, that's kind of fine. You can do that because that's sometimes what you need to do in order to capture these things at scale. But I'm also more interested in the the personal relationships that get built. Exactly. And the difference between what somebody will tell you when they're talking to you face-to-face and sort of what they'll write down. Yep. It's very different too. Because also even just when you're filling out a survey, you're not really put on the spot. You're not really being asked open-ended questions. And also, even if you are obviously being asked a question where you fill in the text box, people don't really take the time unless they're super passionate about or super upset with their experience. Or if it's a very quick, like let's say three multiple choice question, people sometimes just click random answers so they can get to the next page. So obviously it's not easy, but taking the time to actually spend time with people is where you actually get that return. I think so. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for all your insights and all your examples and all your learnings. Really enjoyed listening to everything you had to say. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I mean, hopefully it's kind of like, I, I feel like it's a bit of a, been a bit of a, a random walk around the kind of the territory that is, that is retention. <laughs> I think what's the interesting part is that it's very hard to understand, at least from my point of view, is there's so many aspects to things like customer experience, customer retention, customer happiness, that it's hard to put your finger on like, where do you start? How do you think about it? What's the lay of the land kind of thing? So I feel like this is very helpful in terms of just trying to understand like, A, what are examples of companies who do it really well? What's part of that? How do I do that for my own organization? That kind of stuff. So definitely helpful. I mean, I think the clue is with all of those things, all those terms that you had, the clue is the first word. The customer. <laughs> and it's not as a disembodied kind of like account number or how much they spent or what they've bought, whatever, but start with the person. Go beyond the data and understand the person that is doing the buying. Like you said, you said that the why. Exactly. And there's, I'll leave you with one quote and it's one of my favorite quotes from this polish american linguistic scholar called alfred korzybski i think i pronounced his name right and he was noted as saying the map is not the territory and i think that's particularly applicable right now because a lot of people are talking about data data driven decision making all this sort of stuff and the data becomes the map but the map is not the territory we as people we are our data But our data doesn't tell us everything. We're much more than our data. Retain, the customer retention podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain, the customer retention podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.